You're listening to My Cryptid Vacation, Episode 8. Last week found us in sunny New Mexico, opening our minds to aliens in Roswell. After a bit of a planned detour, with some great food and even better concerts, we find ourselves flying across the Peach State in a Toyota minivan. My spoiled sandwich fixings have been thrown out, my cold brew canteen is drained, and the sheets on my air mattress are in desperate need of a wash. Let's go on an expedition. In this episode of My Cryptid Vacation. I flew through West Texas, past a church whose billboard said simply, Pray for Rain. Trying to follow up on the elusive historical marker signs I kept seeing on the side of the highway proved a bit more difficult than I expected. Alright, I'm convinced it's fucking with me, because I followed the sign for a historical marker, and it led me, I'm not kidding you, to the Idaloo Cemetery. Just an actual, legitimate graveyard in West Texas. Aesthetic as fuck. Super cool. We're in a cotton field, but I... The only historical marker I have seen went by too fast for me to read it. Oh, 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 here we go. Okay, this could be, this could be it. Yeah, okay. It's not fucking with me. The, the site is the cemetery. Fading, like the delicate flower I am, after a mere 11 hours on the road, I tried to turn off the highway I was on to grab some shut-eye. To no avail. The county road I was on had no exits, no services, and no space to safely turn off and conk out where I wasn't going to obstruct passing traffic. I realized that maybe told highways were good for something after all. So I'm a big fan of moths. I think that moths have, like, a lot of significance. Um, And it's really sad because I'm driving through West Texas at night with my brights on because there are no streetlights and I don't know, I don't hit something and all these moths and it's it's during the day it wasn't it was other insects but at night it's almost exclusively moths are just you know kamikazeing into my headlights and i i don't know if like it's just I'm, I'm, it's sad to think that the last thing they see before they die they, i mean it's almost inspiring right like the last thing they see before they die is the brightest light that they have ever experienced and they just, they just rush headlong toward it. And a little bit are sucked into it. Um, and I just think that's... I started this, I was going to say it's kind of sad. It's kind of inspiring. I've, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of here for it. Moths, I, I know you can't hear me because you're moths and also you're dead. But uh, you're inspiring me. I, keep it up. That's, that, that's awesome. I know, I know that it doesn't work this way, 
but I really, whenever I see my gas starting to go down and I'm in the middle of an oil field as I am right now in Texas, I just want to like yank the steering wheel to the side, plow through this rickety uh, barbed wire fence with the front of this minivan and just like mosey on up to the oil pump and just start like just like start siphoning it into my gas tank I feel like that wouldn't work but I'm like dude part of me is like it's right there the oil I just I put it in the vehicle you know like is that crazy I feel like that's a normal impulse well it is now 12.06 and these Texas County roads are going to be the death of me I caught my Google Maps doing a little devious lick. As I looked at it, I selected a route, and it was like, oh, it's got tolls. I know it's got tolls. It's the main highway. I want the main highway so that I can, you know, take a shower and not worry about hitting a deer. Meanwhile in Texas, I was almost convinced to do a bit of secondhand shopping at an attractive storefront. And I'll bet I wouldn't have even had to spend that much money on my purchases. I just passed an antique or like thrift store, literally called Needful Things. The sign was really kind of busted and faded, and I think it might be closed, but what a name. I got up to a bit of mischief during this part of the trip, very little of which is actually cryptid-related. It included a cannabis sales pitch in Atlanta, a glasses recommendation from some Canadians, and an ill-fated trip to the abandoned Six Flags Amusement Park in New Orleans, Louisiana. I might talk about it in a bonus episode released as a Patreon exclusive for the really curious, but I promise it's not that interesting. At least, not as interesting as Bigfoot. I had the luxury of having a friend in the car with me for this leg of the journey, so I slept through most of Mississippi and Alabama. As much as I would have liked to stop in Avalon for a visit to the Mississippi John Hurt Museum, or money to pay respects at the Emmett Till storefront, I wasn't in much of a position to suggest anything. We made it through in one piece, spent a sweaty night in the back of the car, and woke up in eastern Alabama, ready to see what Blue Ridge has to offer Bigfoot lore. And, I guess, what Bigfoot lore has to offer Georgia. Alright, so it's 11.30 local. We are heading out to the Expedition Bigfoot Museum. Big whoop. This is in Blue Ridge, Georgia, about an hour and a half north of Atlanta. I'm a little bit curious to see how this goes because this Bigfoot Museum appears to be at the foot of a national forest. So that would kind of explain this, uh, you know, the, the, the woodsy atmosphere. Um, even though, you know, Bigfoot isn't something that I'd necessarily associate with Georgia or more of the eastern U.S. Um, I'm also kind of excited because the expedition Bigfoot is uh, in all caps, which, you know, I have no choice but to, but to become excited about. Breakfast is, in fact, a day-old hotel muffin. 
Uh, so don't let anyone tell you that cryptid journalism is not, uh, is not glamorous. Blue Ridge, Georgia, is the county seat of Fannin County, the central northernmost tip of the state. The city, built on formerly Cherokee land, has a population of around 1,300. As of 2020, 92% of the population is white. It's named after the Blue Ridge Mountains, a range of the Appalachian Mountains extending from southern Pennsylvania to northern Georgia, running through Virginia and touching North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee. The mountain range's distinctive blue haze comes from the release of isoprene, an aerosol that helps scatter sunlight into the air, lending it an enchanting, mysterious quality. Just past an area of Georgia agro-tourism, a bunch of farms, vineyards, things like that. And the signs on the side of the road have begun the countdown toward Blue Ridge. I think we're at 15. There's also a lot of real estate. Oh my goodness, the sign just says bears next 10 miles. Uh, there's a lot of real estate floating around. A lot of, you know, buy that mountain home signs. Uh, realtors and property development. Um, so I kind of wonder if this is like a, a burgeoning vacation home area. Blue Ridge is also being developed. I couldn't... Alright, I didn't count the number of billboards advertising the location as a scenic place to vacation and retire, and several companies seemed to be involved in managing every step of the process, from architecture firms designing your dream home to construction companies with their names next to pictures of recent builds. There were a lot of trucks on the road, but I don't think I was imagining that they fell into two types, the newer, shinier, and chrome-rimmed wheels, and the other ones that were a bit more beat-up, road-hardened, and were actually carrying things in the truck beds. Finally, the Bigfoot Museum sign. Alright, two miles away on the left, keeping our eyes peeled. Of course, it was Bigfoot gesturing, <laughs> gesturing the direction to go. So, thank God. So Expedition Bigfoot is right off the highway. Um, like you gotta, you gotta be quick about pulling off. Um, and it seems like it's leaned in really heavily into the expedition part of it. Expedition Bigfoot is a single building on the side of the highway. And man, is it decked out. The front porch is full of objects that just scream adventure. Himalayan prayer flags are draped across the walls, and climbing gear hangs from the ceiling. Crates of supplies are stacked in roguishly disordered piles. I don't know why they don't get copyright struck for the music, but I hope it means I won't either. The front room of the museum is the waiting area, with a view of the well-stocked gift shop in the back, an advertisement of things to come. On the wall is a pair of huge maps. Sasquatch sightings in Georgia and Florida. As I would come to learn, not just any sightings, but sightings that were sufficiently vetted by the standards of the museum and thought to be justifiable. I paid for a ticket and stepped inside. You are about to embark on a journey that many have taken before. A voyage that spans generation continents and cultures. 
your task, explorers. Gather information and examine the evidence. The interior of this museum is lushly decorated, and in my mind, clearly professionally designed. Each exhibit is evocative of adventure. Near an exhibit of ancient portrayals of Bigfoot, hairy, bipedal creatures, arrows are sticking out of the wall, as if the person who hung the pictures just narrowly escaped a salvo. The space is populated with screens and multimedia exhibits, showing interviews with people who have reported sightings, footage of late-night treks through the woods with infrared cameras. I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it, and it just... It's really P.O.'d at me. It lets out a roar like a lion. Well, about 100 yards to the uh, northeast, there's this really, really loud whistle comes back. You know, a signal to the ground. Well, and recordings thing, of wild whoops claimed to be Bigfoot vocalizations. Just like the museum doesn't shy away from the theatrics in terms of decor and music, It's exciting and engaging. Life-size dioramas and recreations, complete with mannequins and props, cover famous events in Bigfoot history, from an interpretation of the Fook monster attack in Arkansas to the infamous Dyatlov Pass incident in the Russian Ural Mountains. I won't go into too much detail about the Dyatlov Pass incident. I'd recommend reading the Wikipedia article when you're alone late at night, or listen to the episode of the Morbid podcast on it. Basically, nine experienced Soviet mountaineers died in an odd manner. In the middle of the night, they cut open their tent and attempted to flee into the wilderness while not dressed for the cold. Six were killed from hypothermia, but the rest were killed from physical trauma. And the story only gets weirder from there. Expedition Bigfoot brings up as an important part of its Bigfoot canon the fearsome growls and calls that the creature is said to make, termed vocalizations. There are recordings of them as well as recreations, and the staff member I spoke to indicated that referring to the way that a Bigfoot call makes people feel inside, a kind of chest-shaking, knee-buckling power behind the vocalization, is one of the pieces of evidence the museum looks for when determining whether or not a Bigfoot sighting has legs. For those keeping track of home, this seems to imply a bit of a difference between West Coast and East Coast Bigfoots, keeping the coastal rivalry alive. West Coast Bigfoots tend to have brown hair, as opposed to their southeastern cousins' black or dark red hair. They're taller, uh, upwards of eight feet, while eastern Bigfoots are closer to six. And West Coast Bigfoots tend to be solitary perceptive, and universally non-hostile, while East Coast Bigfoots are a bit more savage and stinky, from the skunk ape of Florida to La Bête Noire of Louisiana. And, of course, Bigfoots in this part of the country seem to be a bit more vocal than their Western cousins, but it's not entirely unheard of that even Western Bigfoots make some sort of noise. Whether these differences are the results of observations from two similar but distinct species, or if local legend is informing what people are looking out for, is truly a chicken and egg for the ages. Luckily for me, I was able to find someone who might be able to give me some answers. I sat down with Lily Sauer, a museum director, to learn more. So, um, 
My name's Lily Sauer. I'm a museum director, which kind of means I know um, a lot about the topic and kind of what we house in the museum. Um, and I send people through and entertain them. Okay. How long have you been uh, at the location work? Um, a little over two years now. Okay. Um, and I suppose, like, how did you, how did you get into this line of work? Was this like a summer job, seasonal thing? Was this uh, like, a, I mean, like this is where I'm going to be for the foreseeable future? So, um, I have family up here. Um, this is where I'm from. Yeah. Uh, I've moved around a lot. Um, but I've always ended up coming back here and when this place first opened I kind of grew up learning about the topic because my great-grandfather was a Native American man and he'd had some strange experiences with what he called the Nunyanui which is the Cherokee word for what we call Bigfoot um, so it's I'm, I was bred to do this essentially um, and I knew the owners for a long time before and then when I finally moved up here permanently um, they offered me the job, and I, without blinking an eye, took it. I was offered a job other than this one with a 401k and insurance, and I turned it down for this. So this is definitely very important to me, this research. Yeah. Um, if you've, so you've been here for two years. I was yeah. wondering, I remember hearing that the museum had been open for about six years. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could tell me what you know about like, the history of this specific location? So um, the owner and his wife, uh, the owner's name is David Bacara and Melinda Bacara, um, they have been researchers for a fairly long time. Uh, they're former BFRO members, which is the Bigfoot Research Organization, yeah. um, and they had had some very um, compelling experiences um, throughout the years of them going on expeditions and, and so on. Um, but David, he, ever since he was 13 years old, he's been very um, passionate about the subject. And this museum is just kind of like his brainchild. Um, he's put blood, sweat, and tears into this, all of his personal research. Um, he's had a lot of the people that he's worked with uh, throughout the years donate a lot of the exhibits that are back there. Um, he has lots of connections all over the world of people who have seen things. He has probably by now millions of accounts that he's heard from people. So he, to me, in my eyes, is just kind of like the Bigfoot database, just within himself. So. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this kind of is... Yeah, this is his baby. <laughs> yeah. I asked about her favorite and least favorite parts of the position. Well, I would have to say my very favorite part of the job is um, one spreading the knowledge um, of what this is, kind of turning it into not not as much of a taboo and more of kind of a curiosity. Yeah. Um, definitely hearing the accounts is some seriously. Uh, brain-altering things to hear. I've, I've heard some extraordinary things from people you never would have thought. I mean, teachers, uh, priests, uh, law enforcement, um, people who've worked for the government for however many years have come in and told me things that, that you can definitely tell they believe. Even if they saw something that maybe they, it wasn't what they thought it was, they believed they saw. Um, 
like something that was not normal. And that, to me, is one of the most compelling things about working here, for sure. Um, I'd have to say my least favorite part, I'm not a very people-y person. Um, we get a lot of people through here. So um, I'd say that's more of my peeve than anything else is, is the amount of people. Um, and a lot of people will try to tell you something that's blatantly not true. Uh, purely for attention and you can kind of tell especially after you work here for a while and hear a lot of the, these encounters um, from sense people. For it. Yeah there's a lot of different key points that that I look for when uh, when I'm screening or you know taking a report from someone and you can pretty much nail it on the head whether you know someone's full of old shoes or not <laughs> so yeah. yeah. I absolutely had to ask about the map of Bigfoot sightings. So on our end, what we do is we, uh, you know, if we, if someone tells us something who, if someone tells us something that's pretty compelling and that makes us scratch our head, and like I said, we look for, you know, key points. I look for, um, you know, extreme emotion in people. A lot of times people will have an intense sense of guilt that they can't exactly nail on the head, um, and that's pretty common, uh, and a lot of times... Um, they'll get migraines, uh, which is strange, but again, very common. Um, if they hear a vocalization, they'll say it rattled their chest. That's usually one of the first things that they talk about when they speak about a vocalization. Um, and just a lot of different key things like that. And if we feel like it's not a credible, um, credible report, we'll kind of just put it to the wayside. Um, but if we really feel like it's something worth looking into, we bring it to David, the owner, um, and he does the um, like the interviewing with the people. And if he feels like it's worth going out and maybe getting um, a little bit of evidence, if he can, uh, he that's his end of things for sure. I asked about the kind of person that comes through and stops at a museum like this. Are more people searching this place out or just stopping because it seems interesting? So I would say it's kind of like a 50-50. So with Blue Ridge sadly growing, you know, it's it's overdeveloping really quickly. You know, it used to be a small town, but it's getting a lot more attention than a lot of the locals would want. This is kind of a cut through right between... Um, you know, mid-Georgia and North Georgia. So people drive by here all the time and they see, oh my gosh, there's a, you know, 11-foot Bigfoot statue in front of this building. I'm intrigued. <laughs> or, you know, they'll see us online or, you know, they heard. A lot of times it's just hearsay. You know, people will um, tell their friends about it and their friends will want to be, oh, I got to go there, you know. A lot of people will be like, oh, I know a guy who loves Bigfoot. I got to bring him here. And I think that's that's a lot of what it is. I don't think we have to do much in order for the word to get out. It's just such an anomaly, especially in the Bible Belt, for something like this to exist. So it's, it's definitely, it's, it stands out. I was curious about why the museum got the kind of traffic it does, even this far in Georgia and the Bible Belt. The Appalachians will tell you, you know, that these things... 100% exist. They might not tell you up front, you might have to pry it out of them a little bit, but you know with the Native American legend, uh, they lived amongst these things for hundreds of years. You know, it was just common knowledge to them, and it still is. Um, like I said, my great-grandfather, he, he spoke about them um, just like it was, you know, like someone would speak about a deer. It was just kind of known. Um, but a lot of people, and like I said, especially in the Bible Belt, they don't want to come out and 
talk about these things, especially because some people have lost their jobs, you know, they've lost, they've been divorced because of um, them being so dead set on what they saw or experienced, so a lot of people just don't, just don't say much about it. Yeah. Like, when you, when you tell people, like, I work at the, the Bigfoot, the Expedition Bigfoot Museum. Yeah. Um, like, what are some of the common misconceptions that you, that you, like, experience or, like, have, have encountered? So, a lot of people think that, um, it's money-driven, that it's purely to make a buck, um, which, you know, money definitely does help when you're running a business, (laughs) but, you know, if, if you, uh, you know, if you ask David or Melinda, it's it's purely a form of maybe self-expression and just a, a really good way to get this baseline knowledge of these things out there. Because, you know, uh, there could be probably 10 out of 100 people who know about this thing called samurai chatter. That's, um, that's something that was recorded back in the 60s that hasn't been able to be debunked for, you know, however many years. Um, and it's proven that any living thing that was in the area at the time of that recording doesn't have big enough lung capacity to make noises all the way up to that decibel level. So that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's it's not um, it's not common knowledge, so a lot of people just kind of think that it's hokey because it's taboo, you know? Um, and as the years go on, we're kind of getting away from that, but usually when I tell people, you know, hey, I work at the Bigfoot Museum, they're kind of like... Okay, weirdo. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the reaction I get. With all that's going on in Blue Ridge with development, I had to ask about the relationship of the museum to the local community. Yeah, it's it's more of that. It's um, it's a tourist attraction, of course, because we don't have very many in the area. Um, and the owner, when he was actually making this place, he noticed that there wasn't a whole lot to do inside. You know, when when vacationing up here. So that was a little bit of the motive as well. Um, yeah, rainy days are one of our busiest days um, during the week. So, um, yeah, it's more of, more of a touristy thing for sure. Director Sauer guided me to some interesting things to do in the town of Blue Ridge proper before I popped the question. Have you ever had what you would describe as a supernatural experience? Um, yes, uh, a few times. So my stepdad and my mom they're in you know the paranormal field whatever you want to call it uh they do um paranormal research so we'll go to old houses who they believe have you know haunting or whatever and i've heard crazy things going with them that i can't personally explain um i'm also in the woods a lot uh i love the outdoors that's what i've done my entire life you know i spend more time outside than I do inside if I can um, and I had a experience with what I believe was a Bigfoot um, it's hard for me to elaborate on because it did kind of rewire my brain a little bit um, but I know I definitely saw something that I absolutely could not explain my final question concerned a few of the flyers and items that were available in the gift shop why did Expedition Bigfoot have flyers and merchandise for the Mothman Museum or other kind of paranormal and cryptid-type locations in the southeast? So usually when a lot of people are interested in the whole Bigfoot thing, that will kind of pique their interest, too. Like, we have people walk out the door all the time and grab 
Mothman Museum flyers. You yeah. know, that's why we have them here. Um, but it, and even a lot of people in the Bigfoot field kind of, you know, leak into that aspect of things as well. Like, uh, we have um, a witness sketch when you're coming out the door of one of the original sightings of Mothman. Yeah, uh, an old woman, older woman, sorry if she can hear this, <laughs> an older woman uh, came in here um, and she had the experience with her father. It landed on the hood, on the hood of their truck at the time, and he told her to never speak about it, that he'd passed away. So, of course, she came to us. I call this the cryptid safe space or the Bigfoot safe space <laughs> to talk about things like that. And, um, she uh, talked to one of the people who used to work here named Sibylla Irwin, and she does Bigfoot witness sketches as well. Um, and that's one of the only uh, witness sketches or, you know, witness remakings of a Mothman having arms and wings. So that's definitely something that'll make you scratch your head a little bit. Yeah. A little bit confounding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, that's kind of all... I have prepared. Okay, um, great. If there's anything that you kind of want to like add or uh, shut out or, or kind of mention, um, I wanted to open the floor if there's anything that's of particular interest for you. Um, so I will say, and this is one thing that I say all the time, the absence of proof is not proof of absence. So just because there's nothing 100% concrete out there doesn't mean that it's not there at all. On the bottom of the home page of the Expedition Bigfoot website is a Bible verse, Proverbs 25, 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings to search out a matter. As a brief aside, I don't know what translation this is from. It seems closest to the American Standard translation, but that version uses the word glory of kings instead of honor. Expedition Bigfoot, much like the International UFO Museum, is firmly entrenched in this keep-your-mind-open rhetoric, insisting there's enough evidence out there that we should not disbelieve just because our current conceptions of reality can't verify the existence of these things in traditional ways. While it's tempting to dichotomize people into two groups, those who believe in the supernatural and those who don't, that's not really the case. Everyone draws the line somewhere. Lily pointed out that despite her current work at a Bigfoot museum, she doesn't have time for the work of her parents as ghost hunters. There's not a simple answer as to where, or how, to draw the line between what's worthy of scrutiny and what's simply understood. It all started at Fort Johnson, the out in the parking lot is a beat-up truck, parked close to the building, like it was one of the first vehicles to get there. The rear door is covered with Bigfoot stickers, footprints, I believe, all the classics, but one sticker stands out. Looking almost like a faded political campaign sticker, it reads, Keep Gilmer Rural. Stop overdevelopment. It wasn't until I saw the messages literally in proximity that I finally got the connection between the resistance against overdevelopment and Bigfoot as a symbol of the wild and free, the rural, the inhospitable, standing out in stark defiance to the billboards advertising the best of both worlds, outdoor hot tubs and long hunting seasons, small town feel, and a ballooning retirement population, and so on. 
Our big hairy friend is already a symbol of quite a few things, some of them seemingly contradictory. Skepticism and belief. Frontier spirit, protection of the natural world, and now, resistance to overdevelopment that would have been invisible to me without actually having visited Blue Ridge. Like many beliefs, it carries an aesthetic dimension, informing and being informed by what people surround themselves with. Our foray into the South isn't over yet. Our next stop is the International Paranormal Museum and Research Center in Somerset, Kentucky. Next week, on my cryptid vacation. And that this creature, whatever it is, emits one of the most terrifying sounds ever recorded. devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sawing on the fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, cause I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny, and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're gonna regret, cause I'm the best that's ever been. Johnny My Cryptid Vacation is a podcast recorded, edited, and produced by me, Clovis. If you like what I do, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash clovisthefox. Special thanks to Lily Sauer, who made this episode possible. The outro song is a cover of The Devil Went Down to Georgia by Charlie Daniels. I meant to at least attempt to record the fiddle part, but my E-string broke. My Cryptid Vacation is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. And fire blew from his fingertips as he rosined up his bow. And he pulled the bow across the strings and it made an evil hiss. And a band of demons joined in and it sounded something like this. 